Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. Today, we're going to look at scriptures from Sunday to Saturday from proper seven. We are in the second half of our liturgical season. The first half began with Advent and ended with Pentecost. And the second half are the Sundays after Pentecost. So we call that ordinary time, ordinary time. And we are in proper seven. And the reason they do it with proper seven, proper eight, proper nine, etc., uh, is that we don't know exactly when Pentecost is going to be. It's not on a fixed date because it moves with Easter. Easter is not a fixed date also. Now, the ascension of Jesus is 40 days after Easter, always on a Thursday and always 40 days after Easter. That's a fixed day, but not a fixed date. So proper seven are the scriptures in ordinary time that we are on. Now, if you'll look at your program, you will see that we are continuing our study of 1 Samuel, which is an Old Testament history text that covers Samuel and Saul and then later David, the first king of Israel, Saul, the second king of Israel, David, and now the third king of Israel, Solomon is going to be covered beginning in Kings, First and Second Kings. First Samuel, and then we go, as you can see in the listing, Acts, the book of Acts, and then we continue our study of Luke, all right? So if you would get out your Bible, or if you're listening, a lot of times I like to listen to the podcast just as in a background way and just kind of familiarize myself with the scripture, listen to them again, go through whatever reading that is set up. And of course, I read the daily lectionary every day. I read the scriptures and think about the scriptures. So again, I encourage you to read, to reflect upon the scriptures on a daily basis, to think about them. And what I love about the daily lectionary and the, and the offering that we are presenting to you is you have an Old Testament lesson, you have a New Testament lesson, and then you have a gospel lesson. So you're getting the words of Jesus in the gospel. You're getting after Jesus in Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, James, etc. And then you're getting before Jesus in the Old Testament. So it's a nice uh, grouping of texts in the Bible in terms of learning. 1 Samuel chapter 4. Now I'm not going to read, of course, uh, from week to week when I share with you. I'm not, I don't read everything, just give you a, uh, an overview. But as you go through the text, you might have notes at the bottom of your page. You might have a Bible that has notes for them. That's sometimes helpful. Or you may just have a Bible that's just the straight text and you just want to get used to reading the text. 1 Samuel 4, 12 to 22, the death of Eli. Verse 17, the man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philippians and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark of God has been captured. That's bad. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken. He died for he was an old man and heavy. He had led Israel 40 years his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and her father-in-law and her husband were dead, isn't that horrible? She went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. Verse 20, as she was dying, 
The woman intending her said, Don't despair, you have given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay attention. She named the boy Ichabod, which means no glory, Ichabod. The glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Now just think about it. The ark of God is captured. What's going to happen to those people that captured the ark of God? What do you think is going to happen? Well, let's read on. Chapter 5. The, the Philistines captured the Ark of God. They took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. They carried the Ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. That's their, that's their God that they made in verse 2. The people of Ashdod rose early the next day, and there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So the Ark of the Lord was placed. Dagon was next to it. Dagon, standing up, upright, falls down on the ground. They took Dagon, put him back in his place. The following morning when they rose, Dagon was fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. This time, his hand and his head had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. Isn't that incredible? This is why to this day neither the priests of Dagon nor any others who entered the temple of Dagon of Ashdod stepped on the threshold. The Lord's hand was heavy upon them and his vicinity. And he brought devastation upon them and inflicted them with many tumors. Ladies and gentlemen, when you're dealing with God, he has the power to do incredible things. This is why I appeal to my listeners to have the fear of the Lord. I'm thinking of Deuteronomy chapter 8, Deuteronomy chapter 4, the books of Deuteronomy. Have a fear of the Lord. The Lord brought tumors. The Lord brought destruction. The Lord caused that idol, that false idol, to be dismembered. The ark of God, the ark of God must not stay here with us because his hand is heavy upon us. What are we going to do? We got to move it. At least they figured out this is not working. We need to get rid of this and we're all going to die. So they moved it. And the Lord's hand was against the city, throwing it into great panic. Throwing it into great panic. He afflicted the people of the city with an outbreak of tumors. An outbreak of tumors. Wow, that's horrendous. So they sent the Ark of God to Ekron. Then the Ark entered Ekron, and they brought the Ark into the, to kill us. So they said, send the Ark of Israel away. So the death filled the city with panic. God's hand was very heavy upon it. Remember, you're talking about a sovereign God, an eternal God, an infinite God, an omnipotent God, an omnipresent God. You're talking about someone that has all the power in the world. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors, and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. And so in chapter 6, 1 through 16, the ark is finally going to be returned to Israel. And the story regarding it is very good. I don't have the time to tell you the story. I just want you to read it. Read chapter 6. It's a fascinating story of how the ark of God was finally returned. Chapter 7, verse 2. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained at Giriath, Jerim. And all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, rid yourself of the foreign gods 
and the asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. Now we've heard this message from Genesis on. You need to serve the Lord. You need to get rid of foreign gods. You need to commit yourself to the Lord. You need to serve only the Lord. If you do that, he will deliver you. He will fight for you. He will defend you. He will bless you. Deuteronomy 28, this is what you've got to do. Okay? So the Lord, the Israelites put away the Baals, chapter 7, verse 4, and the asterisks, and they serve the Lord only. And so I want you to read through that and see how that continues. Verse 15, Samuel continued as judge over Israel all the days of his life. Now remember, the previous books were the judges. So you had the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then you had Joshua, who led them in the land. And the judges, where the land was divided in 12, 12 tribes of Israel. And so Samuel was the last judge. So after Samuel is Saul, who was the first king. So the last judge is Samuel. But speaking of kings, chapter 8. And I say that's sadly. Israel is asking for a king. But look what happened in verse 3. His sons, Samuel's sons, did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. In that sad, Samuel's children turned out badly. So the elders gathered together and they came to Samuel and said, You're old. Your sons don't walk in your ways. We want a king. Appoint a king to lead us as the other nations have. So we have an old Samuel. We have a person that did not raise their children well or their children turned out poorly. And so there's no leader. There's no judge to take over. We need another way to go. And the way to go is kingship. Look at the other nations and how well they're doing. We want a king. Now this goes back and forth in chapter 8 and chapter 9. And what happens is, is the Lord is very upset because it says in chapter 8, verse 7, listen to all the people are saying to you, it is not you they've rejected as king, but me. They do not want to trust the Lord. See, what you have here is a theocracy. What you have is a theocracy. You have God in charge. And so God's raising people up and leading the, the nation. They said, nope, we don't want any more. We want a king. And so what you have in chapter 8 is the tete-a-tete between God and Samuel and the people, and in the end, God grants them a king. So Samuel anoints Saul in chapter 9. In chapter 9, verse 2, he had a son named Saul, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. So Saul looked good. On the outside, he was beautiful. He was fantastic. He was tremendous. And that is what they got. About this time tomorrow, verse uh, 16 of chapter 9, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, anoint him leader of my people Israel. He will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. I've looked upon my people. Their cry has reached me. I'm going to give them what they want. You go and anoint him, Saul. When, he, when Saul, Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, verse 17, chapter 9, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. And so that is what happened. And chapter 10, verse 1, the last verse of the week in the Old Testament, Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on Saul's head, 
and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? Now, this wasn't the ultimate will of God, but he allowed the people to receive Saul as the king. And God was not in favor of it, but he relented and allowed this to happen. Saul is now king. We'll see what happens when we meet again next week. Acts chapter 5. Enjoy those scriptures in 1 Samuel, the wonderful, very, very, very good, very good texts. Um, the history, the history of Israel. Acts chapter 5, 15, uh, 12 to 26. Last week we saw how Ananias and Sapphira were both killed because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Pretty rough. We find that the apostles are on the move. They're healing people. Verse 16, crowds were gathered from all over the town. They brought their sick, they, they those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Now, they're picking up on the ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus was a healer. Jesus uh, cast uh, out evil spirits. Now we have a situation where they're bringing the sick into the streets, and they're laying them on mats, and amazing things are beginning to happen. And the ministry of healing and deliverance is now being passed on to the apostles, and they are now doing enormously good things for the Lord. But at the same time, they're being persecuted. And we see that persecution in the second half of chapter 5. And they are hauled in, and they have to give an account of what is going on. And Peter tells them, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers is verse 30. Raise Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Verse 31. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. All right? So they're persecuted, they're brought in, and Peter is sharing the gospel with them. They're not relenting. They must continue to serve the Lord, and they are being persecuted uh, for that. Gamiel famously, the second half of uh, 55, beginning in verse 33, stands up and says, look, guys, so I'm giving you a synopsis. We've had this problem before where people spoke in the name of the Lord, and they proved to be false. But if these guys are speaking the truth, you will find yourself only dealing with God. You will not be able to stop them. That's the famous 39th verse. But it is, if this is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. So they called the apostles in in verse 41. They had them flogged. That right there is pretty difficult. They ordered them not to speak in the name of the Jesus and let them go. But the apostles in 41 left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. So day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that's been promised. So everything was not wonderful after Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit comes down at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. They began to do ministry in a very powerful way but they still had the authorities to deal with in the Jewish religion who were very offended by what they were doing and wanted to have them uh, just killed. But that did not happen. God protected them. But there was serious persecution in the book of Acts for those, uh, for those apostles. In chapter 6, we have the choosing of the deacons. 
Brothers, choose seven men, uh, chapter 6, verse 3, from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This is uh, in terms of the daily distribution of food and some of the things that the diaconate uh, became very famous for. So they chose several people to, um, to do ministry. And in verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So they laid their hands on these men and commissioned them to do uh, the ministry. So what we also see in Acts, not only is the evangelization, the proclamation of the gospel, the suffering of persecution and hanging in there, the community aspect of them coming together for worship and breaking of bread and prayer that we see at the end of chapter 2 of Acts, but now the commissioning of people to go out and serve as ministers. So the church is beginning to take shape. This is a beautiful, this is why Acts is very beautiful and very, very, very important. Not only historically, theologically, evangelistically, societally, or socially, it's extraordinarily important, um, ecclesiologically, of the church and how the church is being formed and how the Holy Spirit is going to shape the church to go into a very hostile environment and change the culture. So that's in chapter 6. In chapter 7, we have uh, Stephen, who was one of those seven. They heard him preaching blasphemy in chapter 6, verse 11, uh, against Moses and against God. This stirred up the people in verse 12. They seized him. They produced false witnesses. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel in 15, 615. And so in 7, he has this phenomenal speech. And he has this phenomenal speech we're gonna, we have through verse 43 today. And I want you to read through this. And it gives you a recapitulation of the Old Testament, of what happened in the Old Testament. And what happened from verse 1. Are these charges true? Brothers and uh, fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. Then he goes from there. And he takes him through Abraham. Then he goes through the uh, situation with Joseph. Uh, then he goes into Moses, and um, he continues with Moses and how uh, Moses met God. Take off your sandals in verse 33, etc., etc. And we go through verse, verse 43, the situation with Aaron, the, the calf. And so he's going to show how God acted and uh, what the truth of the scriptures are. So uh, I'm impressed by the erudition, if you will, of Stephen and what he knew uh, about the gospel and about particularly about the Old Testament and how God was using uh, all these wonderful people in the Old Testament that we read about as, and in the first part of our lecture uh, on the Daily Lectionary, uh, that God was using all these people to bring us to Christ ultimately. And we'll continue on with that next week. Luke chapter 21. We're back in Luke now. We're in 21, which means we're pretty far along. There's only 24 chapters. We're pretty far along. He is, um, he is sharing now in verses 29 to 36 uh, the parable of the fig tree. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. That's why the word of God is so important because the words of Jesus will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be made down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. This is when the end is going to come. He was speaking about that in the early part of chapter uh, 21. He says, be always on the watch, verse 36. Here's what you want to remember. Be always on the watch and pray 
that you will not be able to that you will be able to escape. Not you don't want not the not in there. You may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. That you can stand before Jesus at the end, okay, and escape what is getting ready to come. So it says in verse thirty-seven that each day Jesus was teaching at the temple. And he went out and spent the night on the Mount of Olives, and all the people came in the morning to hear him at the temple. Well, what's chapter 22 about? 22 is about the death of Jesus, his eventual death, his crucifixion. So we begin by Judas agreeing to betray Jesus. Satan enters Judas in chapter 22, verse 3. And then we have the Last Supper together, where Jesus celebrates that extraordinary um, occasion of preparing the Passover. We're back into Exodus again. The Passover instituted when they left Egypt. Um, uh, God miraculously provided for them. And then Jesus does an amazing thing. He takes the cup in 17 and says, Take this and divide it among you, for I will tell you I won't drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So he takes the bread and gives thanks. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we do this this to this very day. We still do this. And the words of Jesus that he gave us, this cup, so the bread, the wine, instituted by Christ in Luke chapter 22. And then, of course, he says, Simon, Simon, verse 31. Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. I've prayed for you, Simon, that you may not fail. He's the one that's going to deny Jesus three times. When you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Oh, I'm going to be with you, Jesus. They all left him. He prays on the Mount of Olives. His sweat was like blood. Blood falling to the ground. Luke alone tells us that. He is arrested. Uh, he is arrested. And um, we will look at the rest of the scriptures next week, beginning with Jesus, uh, Peter disowning Jesus. But what happens is they leave the Last Supper and they go, he goes and prays. He asks that this cup would be taken from him. It was not. Uh, Jesus then goes forward. Judas comes toward him and he says, Are you portraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Verse 47, a person cuts off the high priest's right ear. The servant of the high priest, I'm sorry, cutting off his right ear, verse 50. And Jesus says, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Now, here's a guy that's getting ready to be killed, to be crucified. And he is healing the person that is arresting him. Isn't that amazing? And so what we have in Luke 22 is Jesus' march toward death. And the significance of his crucifixion, of course, will be shared by uh, Peter and James and John and Paul and all those folks um, in the epistles. And as we saw in Acts, we saw in Acts uh, chapter 7, Stephen is going to say something about the Old Testament and how that relates to Christ. And earlier in chapter 5, Peter stands up and says something about Jesus uh, dying for us. So uh, it's really great to take all these wonderful scriptures and see how they fit, all fit together. And you have an opportunity, and I have an opportunity to do that every week in the daily lectionary readings. Well, enjoy your reading this week. Uh, may you have a good time of prayer and study. And may the Holy Spirit speak to you as you study the scriptures and listen to God's leading and revelation. God bless you, and we'll see you next week in the daily office lectionary.